The Tale of Rita and Marco, Verses by Verses Before we dive into their story, let's review three important facts about how our brain processes info. info. As we'll explore in chapter 10, number one, the brain is wired to hunt for meaningful patterns in everything. The better to predict what will happen next based on the repetition or the alteration of the pattern, which means first and foremost that there need to be meaningful patterns for the reader to find. Number two, we run the the scenario on the page through our own personal experience of similar events, whether real or imagined, to see whether it's believable, which gives us this ability to infer more information than is on the page or go mad when there isn't enough information for us to infer anything at all. Number three, we're hardwired to love problem solving. When we figure something out, the brain releases an intoxicating rush of neurotransmitters that say, good job. The pleasure of story is trying to figure out what's really going on, which means that stories that ignore the first two facts tend to offer the reader no pleasure at all. All this is another way of saying the reader knows way more than you think she does. So relax and don't worry so much about giving too much away. Chances are your readers will be several steps ahead of your protagonist, which is exactly where you want them to be. For instance, the reader will have a much better handle on the likelihood of whether or not Marco, the office Lotario, will actually leave his wife the second she gets back from visiting her sick mother than his fretful mistress Rita does, even though Rita is the first person narrator. And that's a good thing because it means suspense arises not only from what we suspect the characters will do, but from the tension we feel watching Rita pick out her trazu, knowing damn well that not only won't Marco be leaving his wife, but there's a good chance he doesn't doesn't even have a wife. Thus, while we're rooting for Rita, the last thing we're hoping for is that she'll actually land Marco even though we're in her skin and can feel how strong her desire is. Instead, we're hoping she'll realize Marco is actually the last thing she needs, because it's too late, and God forbid, she actually gets him. Rita's real struggle, the one the reader is following with bated breath, the one the story is about, is internal. In other words, the story revolves around how Rita views her world rather than what happens in it. Therefore, There are myriad layers of conflict laced into Rita's story. Let's take them verses by verses, shall we? On the external level, we have what Rita wants, Marco, versus what Rita has, Marco's promises. On the internal plane, the conflict is between what Rita believes, that Marco is her soulmate, versus what is actually true. Marco is soulless. This means that on the page we're watching Rita try to woo and win Marco, as the writer slowly reveals that Marco is a very different sort from what Rita imagines. This gives the reader the space to anticipate how Rita will feel when she finds out on what she'll do as a result. This brings us to one of the most potent verses of all, one that often defines the playing field, 
what Rita wants, Marco's undulterated love, versus what is expected of her. Marco expects her to turn a blind eye to his cheating. This means that throughout the story, Rita will be struggling with the fact that Marco seems to believe all she wants from life is to cater to his every whim. No questions asked. Knowing how weak this makes her look to her friends, chances are she'll be struggling to at least appear to meet their expectations too. She's going to dump him, she swears. She just hasn't found the right moment. This in turn triggers that little voice in the back of her head that's worried they might be right about Marco. But because she's totally besotted with him, she ignores her suspicions. Ah, now Rita is also battling herself, which will be evident in her internal response to Marco's actions. That is, she'll rationalize. This means that often what she says and what she's actually thinking will be at odds. Talk about a great way to ratchet up the tension. Which brings us to the question, why would Rita ignore something that's abundantly clear to the rest of us? What we're looking for is the reason Rita is so desperate to hook up with Marco, beyond the fact that he sends her pulse through the roof. Okay, let's say Rita's deeper motive is that she is afraid of being alone. Fear? Could this be grounds for yet another source of conflict? Rita's goals versus her fear? Perhaps? Not quite. After all, rather than keeping her from her goal, her fear is part of what's driving her into Marco's arms. Since it, she lands him, she'll never have to confront her dread for being alone. Not quite aversive yet, but then we haven't explored Rita's internal goal yet. As fate, that is the author, would have it, Rita's internal goal is to be loved for who she is by a man who is true-hearted. Sound like Marco? Nope. Definitely a conflict there, and one that reveals a nifty roll of thumb. Begin excerpt. One way to tell if you want the protagonist, if what the protagonist wants in the beginning is her genuine goal, is to ask yourself, will she have to face her biggest fear and so resolve her inner issue to achieve this goal? If the answer is no, then guess what? It's a false goal. End excerpt. And you know what that means? That Rita's fear is, in fact, part of a very compelling versus. Her fear versus her genuine goal, which is to be loved by a true-hearted man. Thus, if she's going to remain true to herself, she will shun Marco, even though it means being alone. Being aware of all these layers allows the writer to use Rita's fear of being alone to shape her reaction to everything that happens to her. Thus, her external decisions, internal monologues, and body language will in some way reflect her true motive, whether she is aware of it or not. We're not talking something as obvious as Rita thinking this. Gee, Marco sure is a big fat jerk, but since I'd rather die not than be alone, I'd better do everything he wants me to, even if these damn stilettos kill my feet. Instead, it's more like this. As Marco and I walked into the courtyard, I saw my neighbor, Mabel, scurry into her apartment, quickly closing her door, lest one of her cats slip out. How many does she have? Eight? Nine? Yet she always looks so sad, as if she's afraid even her cats don't like her. There but for the grace of God, I thought, grateful for the weight of Marco's arms around my shoulders, even if it means I have to walk faster to keep pace with him which isn't easy in stilettos. End excerpt. The more the reader is aware of Rita's true motivation, the more she will understand why 
a woman so otherwise smart and savvy, would go after a Neanderthal like Marco, and the more will be rooting for her to fall for one of Mabel's fluffy little kittens instead. Which brings us to the most obvious source of conflict, the antagonist. In this case, Marco. Let's not flatter him with too much attention, narcissist that he is, because we are much more interested in Rita. She's a son in our universe, and everything revolves around her. So when it comes to Marco, what we care about is how we will affect Rita, because Marco personifies the escalating obstacle that Rita needs to overcome. It's important that he puts up a really good fight. This is crucial since the protagonist is only as strong as the antagonist forces her to be. Readers are sticklers when it comes to the prove-it department. In this, they're a lot like citizens of Missouri, the show-me state. They have no intention of taking anyone's word for how courageous the protagonist is. After all, anyone can say they're brave or daring or worthy. Does that prove anything? Only that he's a braggart, a bore, and most likely a coward. In fact, those who are truly brave tend to see themselves as not brave at all.